Welcome to Learned Lag, a podcast about yesterday's Learned League questions and answers. I'm George. And I'm Amanda. George and I are both in Zephyr A. This is season 31 for George and season 27 for me. This is day 16 of season 99. Our first question asks us, who decreed a stately pleasure dome in Xanadu? Uh, this is the Coleridge poem, I believe. I believe um, that is, uh, uh, features Kubla Khan. Um, now, I've always see it, seen it rendered as Kublai, K-U-B-L-A-I, mm-hmm. and then Khan, like the usual K-H-A-N spelling. Um, but, yeah, this is something that I think my dad used to recite occasionally um, when I was a kid, um, just because that that first couple of lines is so kind of uh, mellifluous, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and I sure I read it in high school or something like that, but kind of always stuck with me. So I, I put down Kublai Khan. Uh, ditto. Um, same. <laughs> My dad also uh, enjoyed the poem and would recite <laughs> it. Um, and I also said Kublai because mm-hmm. that is the usual uh, rendering of that person, that actual person's name in English. Ah. Uh, although uh, in this particular poem, it was Kubla. With no I. Mm. I believe we will get credit. I should think so. Because it was definitely referring to the same person who was an actual person and whose name is typically rendered a different way. But sure, uh, I, I think that'll be good enough. Okay. Let's hope so. Uh, question two asks us to identify the Tuscan who helped popularize the use of uh, Arabic numerals in Europe. Uh, in particular, the fact that he had traveled to North Africa and the Middle East, mm-hmm. uh, led me to, well, maybe this is Marco Polo, mm-hmm. who famously traveled from modern-day Italy to China mm-hmm. and back again, uh, and wrote of his travels uh, and attained great notoriety for doing so. Uh, so I just figured it must have been Marco Polo. I felt like maybe he was Venetian, not Tuscan, but then I thought, well, maybe he just left from Venice. Like, you know, Columbus left from Spain, but was uh, himself from... Italian of some duration, Yeah, right? well, current, currently, uh, Genoa. Genoa. <laughs> Genoa. Um, but, so, the, and, and I couldn't think of anyone else. So I, I, was, I was doing my usual, like, hmm, this doesn't quite jibe, but I don't know a Tuscan who did anything about math in the 12th, 13th centuries. Mm-hmm. That time frame also kind of sounded like Marco Polo. I figured it was around then. And just the traveling thing really, really sold it for me. So I mm-hmm. said Marco Polo. Yeah, I spent probably the longest time on this question of the day. It seems like question two seems to be popular for that lately. <laughs> um, and so uh, I thought to myself about all sorts of, you know, Italian surnames that this could be. Um, I wondered if it was something that had Italo or something in it because, Mm. you know, Italy is not mentioned in the question. It wasn't a country at the time, so that's, you know, sensible as well. But I thought maybe there's a reason for omitting that, but I couldn't come up with anything that, you know, that that didn't spark any answers for me either. Mm -hmm. Um, so I started to think of all different, uh, surnames of, you know, Italian surnames of people in math or science that I could think of. 
and I thought of like Fibonacci, but I thought, oh no, he's much later. And anyway, if, you know, he wouldn't be writing about just popularizing Arabic numerals because he was doing, you know, more advanced math with said numerals. Like I, I don't, you know, I can't picture um, someone creating the Fibonacci sequence or, you know, doing whatever else he might have done mathematically. Uh, having just learned about that type of number. I guess that didn't kind of make sense to me. Um, I also thought of Marco Polo amongst those names because of the uh, travel and exploration. And I just went round and round thinking of like Bernoulli. No, that was later in that science. Um, you know, it wasn't Da Vinci. He was later and, you know, it was long since, you know, the numbers were uh, in use when he was alive, I think. Um and so it just kind of never came together for me. And finally I came back to Marco Polo because I just thought, well, I at least know he's Italian. I know that he traveled. I won't sound, you know, too ignorant by uh, making that my answer. And so I put down Polo. It was Fibonacci. Wild. I have never known of Fibonacci as anything but the sequence. Yeah, same. So I, you know. I I, ne I never would have thought of that even if someone had said not Marco Polo. I I just would have figured that would have been something I would have heard about Fibonacci. Well, yeah, and uh, the traveling part I, I would mm -hmm. have had no idea about. That didn't yeah. didn't uh, prompt it for me at all. Question three tells us about a famous early twentieth century play featuring George and Mary Darling, John Darling, Michael Darling, and a daughter with a rare first name. So uh, this is just almost a Pavlovian one for me. Um, the Darling family is the family in Peter Pan. Um, and famously, Wendy Darling is the one who, um, you know, is, well, is they all travel to Neverland with Peter, but um, he is particularly a bit smitten with her and, um, you know, trouble ensues. Um, but yeah, this is... Uh, I don't know if I've read this fact about the name Wendy. I probably have, but I wouldn't have necessarily uh, told you that in the context of knowing about the, the play and the question. Um, and I can't remember if it was, uh, it was, you know, famously a play, but I don't know if it was made into a book, like a, a novel or something like that. Obviously, it's been made into a Disney film and, and musical and, you know, all sorts of other, um, types of works. But yeah, this one, I just plain knew cause, uh, Wendy Darling is just famously that character. Uh, I did know that it was a rare name at the time. Mm. Uh, various, uh, sources have said that it was the first use of it oh. and others have said, no, there are others, but it wasn't really known at the time. It was Mm. It, it was the the first famous use of the name Wendy. I see. Um, so if uh, now the name of the author has blank fled from my mind, uh, <laughs> if if he didn't make it up entirely, then no one's really certain where he got it from. Mm. Okay. Uh, but yeah, this was Wendy. Yep, and that was the correct answer. Uh, question four asks essentially. Uh, well, I, I can't say that essentially. Asks for the original name of a commemoration day that takes place on November 11th. 
uh, this is the part where I go off on a rant. And, oh, boy. <laughs> uh, yes, November 11th was the last day of World War I mm-hmm. in 1918. Uh, Wilson proclaimed it a commemorative day the next year on the same day. It was the day of the armistice that ended the war. Mm-hmm. And it should have stayed that way because it was one of the earlier examples of every damn holiday having to become about veterans. Mm. And that is why it is now Veterans Day and why we now see, hey, don't forget to thank the troops uh, for protecting your your freedom on Labor Day because they're laboring. And don't forget to mm. thank the, the troop that you love on Valentine's Day and blah, 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 blah. We've got enough. <laughs> Let's make this Armistice Day again because it commemorates peace. Mm. It is a commemoration of the end of a war, which is the only version of a war that should be commemorated. I said Armistice Day and I am done now. Thank you. <laughs> well said. Um, yeah, This is one where this probably took me the second longest of the day just because I had to be exquisitely clear in my mind about which of the holidays had previously been Remembrance Day mm. and which was Armistice Day. Um, and I thought that given the date of this, that this had to refer to the Armistice and then, as you note, became Veterans Day later. And then Remembrance Day fits in with Memorial Day and that sense of memory mm-hmm. and um, you know, kind of remembering those uh, people who uh, died in various wars. Um, and so... Once I kind of, like, it, it's one of those things where you have those two sets of things, they're kind of obliquely related to each other or, or kind of directly related to each other in some ways. Um, and so the brain wants to kind of mash them together or say, no, there's this counterintuitive connection that Memorial Day was actually Armistice Day and, blah, 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 and get it backwards. Um, but in this case, it, it definitely... You know, it, it aligns with um, the the kind of tracks that make sense. So, like, you know, mm-hmm. remembrance and memorial go together, and then armistice and veterans, you know, aren't as directly connected per se. But um, it uh, it just was a better fit with that pair versus mm-hmm. the other pair. Sure. Um, and so. Once I kind of settled on that, just, you know, a little bit tentatively, because it's, it's one of those things that is not like World War One history and that time is not a strength of mine. Um, but I did put down Armistice Day. And that was correct. Question five asks us for a geographical term for a long, gradual curve in a shoreline that forms a large open bay. Right, uh, and lets us know that it's an example is the Great Australian one that is the um, continents or, well, I guess technically it's not the continent, I don't know, the southern mm-hmm. coastline of mm-hmm. the Australian mainland, if you will. Um, and so the only answer that came to mind, like I tried to think of lots of different geographical um, ocean or whatever features um, like I thought, is this a gulf? Like, is the Gulf of Mexico like that? Well, no, it kind of curves almost all the way around. Um, so that doesn't seem like it quite fits. And the other gulfs I could think of were more enclosed like that. Um, so I thought, okay, this could be, you know, if it's if if, if bay is not um, 
one of my options here, then I know bite is kind of like a synonym for bay, uh, the one that's spelled B-I-G-H-T. Um, and I tried to think of, you know, this could, could this be a sea? Could this be a basin? No, that's more like a land term. Um, and just, you know, nothing else seemed to match the description of what is being given here. And I thought, could this be, could there be a thing called the Great Australian Bite? Yeah, probably. That sounds like some wacky thing they'd name something. Um, and so I put down bite. Uh, I thought of bite early on. Just I, I kind of vaguely remembered it from uh, map studies when I was a scout mm. um, as just kind of being, you know, one of the names of geographical features. It didn't quite sit right and i kept trying to think of something else mm. uh, and then i remembered another thing that i learned in scouting which was a bite is a loop in a in a rope oh. uh, generally when you're when you're not tying you're going to form a bite at some point in okay. various knots interesting um, uh and so that kind of made it more made it made it work better for me because i thought well yeah that's kind of what that forms although a shallow version of you know, a, a loop or a a bend in a in a in a rope. Uh, and I thought, well, maybe the, maybe it's a bend. And I thought, no, because there's a, a river bend is a more specific thing. Yeah. And you wouldn't necessarily you, you wouldn't want to confuse those two things geographically. You'd want distinct words for them. Uh, so I kept coming back to bite and thinking, yeah, yeah, that kind of makes sense. I, I feel like there. Uh, I don't. I didn't remember what it was called, but like the the part of the Atlantic between northern Spain and western France, mm -hmm. I feel like, is is referred to as a bite as well. Yeah, I think you're right. Just because of that, that same sort of just very shallow curve uh, that doesn't, uh, doesn't form like a distinct body of water, but can but is still somewhat different from the rest of the water just because that's, you know, the currents are going to be different and such like. Sure. So I just, I sort of <laughs> said, yeah, all right. We'll go with bite and see if that works. Mm -hmm. And that was the correct answer. Whew. One of the few times we can say that bites, and it's actually <laughs> a good thing. Uh, and with that terrible joke out of the way, question six asks us um, about an electronic component that conducts current in one direction, but not the other. Uh, it's a light emitting something. Mm -hmm. This is diode. Uh, the, the light emitting diode is... One of the unheralded major inventions of the late 20th century. Mm. Um, and in fact, was the subject of one of the last uh, Nobel Prizes in physics that uh, is resulted in kind of common usage of stuff. Oh, yeah. The blue LED. Sure. Uh, was the the last one. The, the first one they figured out, I think, was the red one. And that's why when you see like old calculators, oh, yeah. they'll have red uh, characters. Sure. The, the ones that, that, that light up, uh, as opposed to liquid crystalline uh, diode versions, the LCDs, uh, uh, yeah. that were black on brown. Um so they, they, they got the they figured out the red ones and they figured out like the yellow and white ones, and then eventually uh, and apparently much later and much more difficult, they figured out the blue one. And that one kind of completed it and allowed us to have LED displays of right, televisions and right. such. Actual, you know, full color 
displays. And it was so important that the person who figured it out got the Nobel Prize for it. Wow. And, you know, this was like the late 20th century, possibly even the early 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 21st that they gave that out, mm-hmm. you know, at a point when like physics Nobels are all like just incredibly uh, obscure topics and like just, you know, things I can't imagine figuring out <laughs> as opposed to like, you know, the early physics, um, you know, Nobel prizes were like the x-ray. Yeah. <laughs> You know, very uh, basic yeah, science relatively kind of basic things that you know like a talented amateur theoretically could figure out mm. you know and as opposed to nowadays when it's like the one thing that somebody's going to be able to do for their entire life yeah so so yeah I just always remembered that that was uh, that was a diode a light emitting diode type and mm-hmm. so that's what I said yeah I um just kind of have against a more Pavlovian thing with the phrase light emitting what yeah. is kind of, it's, it's a diode. Um, that's what that is. When you're talking about LED, like I'm thinking of just, just this past weekend, I put up our Christmas lights and some of them are LED and some of them are incandescent, believe it or not, um, which you can still buy. Apparently I, I had to replace a strand um, and went to the hardware store and they had both kinds. Um, but I certainly was, reminded of you know leds being out there and so you know this is relatively top of mind and possibly for other um holiday decorators as well um so i as soon as a light emitting what you know uh, appeared in the question then i knew this also had to be diode and that was correct indeed so we each talked ourselves out of a beer well no my i talked myself out You just kind of... I was never going to get to Fibonacci. didn't realize that one, but... I mean, you know, I was never going to agree to it, I guess. (laughs) So, I guess, I'm not sure talk myself out is is quite the right way to say it, but... um, Still, I mean, five out of six, but I'd rather not get a math question wrong, because that's probably what someone will slap the three on for me, so... um, Unless they think it's really obvious and it was Marco Polo. And therefore, it's more of a world history. Maybe. We can hope. Um, and we can also hope that they uh, I, I definitely I wouldn't know about bites. I definitely <laughs> lowered this uh, from math uh, uh, in, into more world history, thinking that uh, it was probably Marco Polo. Yeah, I did think it would be someone else famous that I'd heard of. Uh, I just dismissed the person who was actually the correct answer. Um, I was kind of right about that surmise, but not in the, not in a way that got me the, the correct, uh, uh, response, mm-hmm. but, uh, I guess we'll see how it goes. It's, it, it's one of those days where I could see a five out of six, just not doing super well in an A-Ruggle. Yeah. So, and I, I'm up against a pretty tough opponent, as I recall. Um, so I, I guess I can hope. <laughs> and that's it for today. Tune in tomorrow for more post-game analysis. And follow us on Blue Sky at Learned Lag with all the vowels. And remember... Don't forfeit. Don't cheat. <laughs>